Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions. And in this episode, Keisha Kijano of Label Sessions talks to James Gamage. James is an innovation leader known for his solutions in design thinking and utilizing agile methodology. He has pushed the boundaries of large global organizations such as Aviva and the Royal Bank of Scotland. Now, he's based in Canada as a director of innovation for the United Way of Calgary and area, including its social impact lab, accelerating impact on the critical issues facing its community. Over to James and Keisha. Well, I guess we'll go, we'll go straight in. First things first. Could you please kind of introduce yourself to Label Sessions and kind of what are you what are you known for? I work um, in innovation in the social sector now. Um, so I work for the United Way out here in Calgary and area in Alberta, in Canada, uh, and in the team here, I lead the team that uh, looks at designing and implementing new uh, social innovations. So social sector innovations, whether that's um, responding to some of the big issues that the community might have or convening organizations around trying to solve things like food insecurity, you know, uh, mental health is a big issue at the moment, homelessness, um, big issues that uh, are experienced in Calgary society nowadays. Uh, I guess that's the case all, all over the world. but. My role, and I head up a part of the United Way called the Social Impact Lab, it's desire to design and implement solutions, upstream solutions, so preventative solutions, ultimately, for some of the issues that we see in society. So I've, that said, my, um, my background is in corporate innovation, so I've worked for over 20 years now in uh, designing um, implement and implementing innovation solutions uh, within uh, largely financial services organizations um, and and also you know as a result of starting in that work uh, you know I think my jam is is understanding how to implement innovation in an organization how to get an organization aligned around the concept of innovation and um, and how to do it effectively I started you might tell from my accent I'm not Canadian originally I I've been here for almost 12 years now. Um, so I uh, was born and brought up and have had the majority of my career in the UK, uh, and based out of London, uh, working for largely financial services organizations, RBS, uh, Lloyd's, um, Lloyd's TSB, uh, as was. And um, yeah, I only came to Canada about 12 years ago. So, so uh, you know, I've, I've experienced things both sides of the pond, um, and you know, I I recognise quite a lot of similar issues, whether it's um, between the social sector and the financial services organisations, or or over in Canada versus over in the UK. A lot of the same sort of organisational issues that uh, that people experience in trying to implement and and deliver innovation. Well, then I wonder with that, through your innovation roles, both UK and Canada profit and non-profit um in your view what does it really take to make change happen i've skinned my knees along the way loads of times in, in doing this um but i think i know 
how to get there now. Um, you know, initially in both the UK and in Canada, I, I um, was, you know, headed up an organ an innovation team um, that was really uh, slightly separate but part of the organization and was, you know, the idea was to give that team oxygen and the ability to think differently, think out, outside the box, I guess, and um, create something new that might be a new business model or might be a new way of uh, delivering service. Um, and then um, hopefully once it's had an opportunity to sort of, we've had the opportunity to ideate, design, prototype, pilot, and um, you know, basically incubate it for a, a while, then to sort of transfer that into the organisation. Um, the the easy part of that is the first part. You know, it's, ideas are cheap. Um, anybody can come up with an idea, um, and actually, the design process, uh, you know, prototyping and you know, gathering insight initially, ideating, prototyping, and piloting within your you know small domain is actually the easy part of innovation. And um, what I learned was, or I have learned from bitter experience over the last uh, 20 plus years is the the real uh, secret source is how you, you're able to um, translate that or operationalize that innovation into the organization. And, um, you know, it's always troubled me when I'd worked in, um, innovation teams that transition you, you, it feels often as though you're sort of sort of lobbing something over a wall and it's a sort of like a delicate egg that just sort of people go up oh. and all that time you spent <laughs> nurturing it and building uh that innovation and you know that the uh, uh the you know all the ip that's got into it all the the effort uh it's like almost like bringing up a child you know it's suddenly dropped and smashed all over the floor and I've had numerous numerous examples of that when things you know just didn't operationalize because you know the rest of the organization or key people in the organization either didn't understand the value proposition, didn't buy into it, um, you know, just it it jarred against what maybe it was challenging what they did on a day to day basis and was disruptive to to them as uh, an individual. And you know, what I I've learned is that. Often the, uh, it, it, interestingly, it's not, that's not based on seniority because often what you find is that, you know, more senior people are, are the biggest barriers. You know, maybe the C-suite has a more visionary role and can think about things from a vision point of view. But when you get to sort of senior management, VP, director, imagine director level, you, know, uh, you often find there's like a frost layer. So things just don't penetrate because those folks are really paid and incentivized on delivering innovation on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, sorry, uh, uh, the the operation on a day-to-day -day basis, and the innovation is disrupting their world. You know, they're they're very stretched as it is. What they can't countenance is anything new, um, or anything. It's very difficult for them to integrate that and operationalize that. So, I've had numerous examples of that through my career, and. What I've learned is that the way to do this properly is is to think about um, uh, you know innovation and change in an organisation more sort of at a holistic, strategic level, more culturally, and you know 
that that's the way that you can get people on board and that's the way that you know when you're operationalizing an innovation it's falling on sort of fallow ground it's you know not only do the finance people understand the concept that the uh the operational team do the the marketing team do it and actually then it's not a matter of you know just sort of throwing things over to the organization you're hoping that they'll grow um you're actually seeding them in in you know uh rich fertile ground so so you know what i've learned through that the, the years is is the real key to successfully operating and, and innovating in an organization is is really to to think about that very much from a culture change point of view you know think about describing the culture and behaviors of innovation and and working out a way of um of pushing the organization towards that so you know that might mean that a senior leader starts with a, a message around you know a burning platform you know that there, there is a reason that we have to change you know the world is changing outside unless we change and think about new innovative things in our space we are not going to succeed succeed so maybe you know i'm a big advocate for that some people like to soften the message a little bit but the truth is sometimes you need to knock people out of their sort of uh, out of their river um river of thinking so you know i'm a big advocate of that burning platform message and then you know being very clear on the culture and behaviors that you're trying to promote and um activate within an organization so you know once uh you've identified what those are and that could be part of a program in itself you know a values and culture um uh, program in itself and you know identifying the behaviors that is associated with that that those then need to be seeded within the organization so that could be part of a and you, know, you could do a roadshow or something like that but really the key to that is is for the organization to see the um the senior leadership actually demonstrating those behaviors um and and constantly reinforcing that you know they need to see visible changes the organization does um they need to hear repeatedly from the senior leadership team about stories about you know how the behaviors uh behaviors may have been implemented and the success that came from that so you know story is very important demonstrations of you know maybe in the innovation context maybe sort of there's there's a process a key process that um, a lot of people identify as a sort of a barrier or you know it's which might be sort of a come from the risk and compliance team but actually everybody realizes it's just a pain to implement you know remove that remove that process and then demonstrate that um, the organization is taking and looking at things differently um associated with those behaviors you know try and work out a, uh, a way of rewarding against them now there's a number of ways of doing that I'm, one of the organizations i worked at here in canada had a basically a rewards platform where people were encouraged to tell stories on the platform about when um, people had displayed those behaviors in a positive way um, and you could reward points and of course you know you earn the points and then you could buy yourself uh, you know a blender or something like that after a <laughs> number of months but actually the more important point was that was a platform that people complete uh, repeatedly went to um, to um, 
to hear stories about um, you know behaviors, uh, people displaying the values, um, and you know that over a period of time reinforces the culture and um, you know the process of the culture that you're trying to promote. Also, you need to give people the tools. So it's unfair to um, expect people just to innovate or to have that kind of mindset. Um, so, you know, building a program, this is, you know, uh, programming within the organization around, you know, skill sets, tool sets, and mindsets around innovation. You know, you probably need to take the organization through a program. Now, that could be multifaceted. It could be that, you know, you run a series of podcasts or video recordings, you know, about work that you're doing, or it could be, it could be, you know, face-to-face programming. It could be, um, free courses that, uh, around design and innovation that an organization could, uh, uh, provide to the, to the team. So you need to give them the tools as well. And then, you know, from a lead, the last thing is from a leadership point of view, you know, you need to give them the space to learn, start, and um, make mistakes, fail, and hopefully gradually you'll build that culture. So when you know it's not only our innovations being derived from all over the organization but when they uh when they get to that point of scaling they're falling on more fertile ground than if uh if they've just you know been created in a small team um that no one really knows what they're doing except when they produce stuff so that's a very long explanation on you know because it's you know it's quite a big profound issue within organizations but i think that's the um that's sort of the key to success this podcast is brought to you by label sessions the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people around the world we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders just like the people you hear on this podcast for live sessions of advice mentoring or sometimes to collaborate on ideas to find out more visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team I know you've been a sort of innovation leader in both sort of non-profit and also profit organizations. Almost breaking that down into two different parts, do you, can you almost share your experiences and sort of or the differences that you've observed? Is there, is the thing that you're saying before go through both of them or is it different approaches for different things? Um, some of it's different, some of it's the same. So, um, I mean, certainly what's the same is the process I just talked you through, you know, if you invoking culture change and, you know, you're trying to create different behaviors within the organization, you know, that's, that's near enough the same. Um, I think, you know, if you look at any organization and you initiate a change, my sort of rule of thumb is that there's like 20% of people, when you're thinking about innovation change, 20% of people get it. And there's like 10 to 20% of people, to be frank, who are never going to get it, either because they just, the the capability, they just don't have the capability to countenance something like that, or or they're just not willing, and they're never going to be shifted. And the reality is, you know, over time, maybe those people aren't in the right organization. The rest, you know, what's 70, 80%, no, 60, 70% of the organization had a sort of a mixture of, uh, willingness and capability <laughs> and uh, capability is easy to solve for you can you know really uh, you know think about programming and 
um, capacity building activities to to um, to, to help build that capacity and uh, their knowledge and you know skills in in innovating. You know that's the easy part. The willingness, um, you know, you can shift that over time. You know, if they start seeing that, you know, this is a train that's moving, and they start seeing that that their um, senior leaders are, um, are you know, changing their behaviour or really displaying things, or people are being rewarded, that can shift uh, people as well. You know, there again are going to be some of those people ultimately that the willingness is not there, and you're not going to be able to shift it. And again, over time, you know, maybe they're not in the right place. So that kind of model. I see whether it's in the for-profit or non-profit uh, sector. Um, some of the, uh, I think where there's a difference is the type of work um, and the way that we go about work in the non-profit sector. Um, a lot of the, the issues that uh, we aim to solve are sort of systemic societal issues. You know, that things like homelessness and food insecurity and poverty. These are like huge, huge issues. And you're never going to solve, you know, if you're trying to create a, an upstream, upstream program, you're never going to solve those kind of things on your own. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and the, the truth is, you know, stuff like that is, it takes 25 years sometimes to shift some of those things. So um, where I think that is different, so so the role then becomes a lot about sort of um, collaborating and convening the community around a solution and working together more closely around trying to um, build uh, systemic um, solutions to some of these really profound issues that uh, are seen in the social sector. So I think that is a difference between innovating in an organization where you probably have your own domain. Obviously, you you have a very powerful customer base um, and you're innovating for them but I don't see that sort of convening co and collaboration that's required um, across the uh, across the sector um, that causes it its issues to just the very nature of the work because we're always trying to strive for uh, create systemic solutions but you know we have to report to funders just as you know donors and funders just as a, um, a quoted organization is having to uh, report to the, the uh, stock market um, and um, there's a lot of those same kind of pressures are, are exhibited you know when, when a donor gives their dollar they want to see a return on that social return on that dollar as soon as possible um, the truth is if you're talking about a 25 year program the visibility of that return or the outcomes that 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 dollar is actually um, providing are either very invisible in the early stages or actually will only be cumulative over a period of a, a number of years. So um, that some of the struggles that we have is, you know, we, we want to be reporting on outcomes, you know, out, outcomes and how we're changing the system. We get sort of almost forced into um, reporting on outputs just because they're visible in the short term. Just as you know, just as the uh, a quoted organisation is going to be looking for metrics that they can report um, in the short term, so every quarter. So um, you know, there are those pressures are similar, but for a different audience. The more systemic nature of the 
the solutions that we're trying to create is probably a difference, uh, which means it, it is more long-term um, and it does require a lot of time convening, understanding, uh, you know, having a shared understanding of what you're trying to work on, you know, um, uh, building coalitions, um, collaborating out in community. Yeah, it's it becomes incredibly complex. Um, so that's probably a, a difference that I would identify. If there was always one piece of advice that you could give to people in nonprofit organizations who are interested in innovation and sort of picking up responsibility in that space, well, what would you say? I think I'd say the same as if whether they're in for-profit and non-profit. Um, that it, it's all that at the heart, at its heart, it's all about invoking change, um, and really understand that people respond to change in very a, a range of different ways. We've talked about the you know 60, 20, 60 earlier. People respond to change in a variety of different ways, and a lot of people see change as a threat. So, um, so that means that. Uh, when you're embedding it, uh, an innovation both within an organization or um, or outside, you've really got to take people on the journey with you. Um, you really have to explain and spend a lot of time explaining the value. Don't assume that people will understand. Um, and yeah, that change process, you know, what I talked about earlier is is paramount because you have to shift people. You have to shift people. Um, to your side because people won't naturally um, not everybody will naturally have the, the capacity or the willingness to 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 work in that kind of space so it's a, it's a real sort of people thing and I'd, I'd say the same for you know if you're implementing a new technology you know technologies rarely in my opinion technologies rarely fail because they're bad tech or bad software or you know they haven't been programmed correctly they fail because of the human interface, because people either aren't ready for what the what the technology is enabling, or the organisation isn't able to implement it effectively because people either don't understand it or the human interface isn't great. So um, it's all about people. That's what I would say. I wonder with that and kind of the the whole point of like always kind of you just need storytelling. Do you think that we overcomplicate? innovation i think we concentrate on the wrong things and we 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 quite readily so if, if that's over complication you know we we readily uh jump to, towards the solution without really understanding the problem we're trying to solve um so you know the, classically i've seen this a number of times in organizations where sort of senior leaders have an idea of the solution and then it's all about implementing the solution that they think will fit um and often you you find that because you know certain people will gravitate to a technology solution over anything else because you know it feels neat it feels like technology is taking over the world etc 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 when the reality is that but they're not really understanding the customer need and the problem the customer is trying to solve. And actually the problem can often be solved in a very simple way. You know, maybe changing an existing process uh, or, or maybe tweaking the human interfaces, you know, 
it's rarely technology solution that you know in my opinion it's it, it's rarely the, the technology that should be driving the solution so i i think um i think that's a really interesting statement and you know because it's all about the people and the i've talked about the role of story and and really understanding the people thing i think perhaps we do overcomplicate um you know we do overcomplicate solutions um and and the and innovation within organizations and actually um, in what it delivers for, for people. I want to kind of lead it on from that. Do you think, I mean, in both profit and non-profit, but do you think that there's a need for almost a chief innovator in residence for places? It certainly needs somebody at a senior level, I would say, to sort of be a, a guide post. Um, somebody, you know, it might mean that that person is is the person who's sort of coaching the senior leadership or um, providing that direction um, in the organisation. So I I do see the role of, and it doesn't have to be a chief innovation officer or chief transformation officer. It, it, there is a role there which is you know it is a senior, quite a senior role in helping the organisation to um, to think differently. So. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd be, it, it's a role rather than a title, in my opinion. That makes a lot of sense. And kind of, we've discussed a lot about culture change and what to do when there's a team in place and how to kind of foster that innovation culture. But I want, I'd, I'm wondering if you were to almost build, build your dream team from scratch, what kind of things would you be looking for? I'd certainly look for people who were able to sort of follow a design-led approach, both with it, you know, are empathetic to other people. So both in um, in actually designing a solution that they, you know, they, they go out and, and speak to people and gather insight about a problem they're trying to solve and actually are able to to do that in an, uh, an empathetic way. Um, I'd certainly... Um, focus on building a team around um that i would also um i'd also uh work more close perhaps with the people and culture you know again around sort of empathy around uh around the people about how to uh deliver internally i'd work with probably um with a uh, someone from people and culture as well to to ensure that you know that process that i talked about earlier was um, was implemented effectively and strategically as part of the people and culture strategy. So, I I would have designers in my team. Um, I would have people who um, understand, you know, the organisation and potentially how to embed things in the organisation. And in general, I would I I quite like you know obviously. There's a value in diversity, um, whether that's gender or um, ethnic diversity within the team. You know, they're just bringing different perspectives. Um, I'm not wedded to whether there are people internally with existing people internally within the organisation, or you bringing new people um, externally. I like that the balance of doing so because again, you get a, a range of perspe- perspectives onto things. So. Um, that's sort of where I, you know, the diversity of both background and um, and values and, and approach is, is very valuable, as well as that empathy 
I think those are all important points to kind of always think about and not many people kind of think about them all together. Well, not many people think about building a team kind of scratch uh, when talking about innovation, but you mentioned kind of your your team, your smaller team that feeds the projects into the, the larger organizations. It's interesting to see how kind of you think about building teams and also what throws into making, I wouldn't say productive, but kind of a, a good team. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. You know, often, if you're starting out on this journey, you get you know, a few people sort of thrown in your direction. <laughs> it's not always perfect. You're having to craft the team around um, people that you might not necessarily choose initially, but ideally, that's what that's the approach I would take in building the team. Well, we've asked all the sort of the almost the long form questions. We have a few questions that are almost like a, a quick fire round. What three things can't you live without? Can't I live without? Um, oh, this is going to be really soppy. My family, um, uh, the outdoors. I've really, you know, since I've come out to Canada, I've realised that summer and winter, uh, family outdoors. Uh, laughter. I so heard. like a good family hike with lots of jokes is perfect. Perfect. A perfect day. Question number two. Uh, what is your go-to website when you're procrastinating? I mean, and this is like a guilty pleasure. I And I don't interact on Twitter at all, but I actually go to Twitter. And I, I, I do it almost from a human behavior point of view, just to really understand. And I deliberately try and... Um, follow people with a range of perspectives i mean i i'm astounded on a daily basis as well as i'm you know my heart is warmed on a daily basis about what i see there but it is um it's an awful place sometimes but it's quite an uplifting place sometimes so i go there and but i i go there and with a sort of detached view just to watch you know what people's opinions are i i fully appreciate twitter is not the real world um, it's a bunch of people with opinions who uh, like expressing them and like telling other people that they're wrong. But there we go. That's probably my guilty pleasure. You never know what to expect when you're going on. You're there to black. Never know. I mean, like, you know, some of the people that I followed over the years, it's like, it is really just for entertainment value. And I, Sometimes I'm like just almost disgusted by what they're saying, and but I have to, you know, take the time to realize that that's just their opinion. And actually, you know, it's not an opinion necessarily that's held by lots of people, it's just an opinion, and they have a platform to express that. So, or sometimes it's the way that they say something, and you're like, yeah. I see where you're coming from, I don't agree with you it. You only get people from. from there and there on Twitter, you'd never really get books, you know, where. The vast, vast majority of people are around a subject, you know, in the middle and um, able to argue both. I guess, oh, next question. What makes someone a good traveling companion? I like to be sort of relaxed when I travel. I'm not sort of, uh, I don't like, you know, punctuality and, you know, I like to be planned, but I like to people who are, are more focused on the experience and what's going on around them than necessarily sort of the the itinerary and we must do this by then, we must do this by then. I I like traveling, I like traveling with my wife uh, because she she appreciates what's around us and 
it's not all about the itinerary and sort of seeing these three, uh, you know, cathedrals and and two wonderful sites in a day. It's about experiencing the culture of a place and, um, you know, absorbing that in your own time. I think it's important, especially in a world where everything's kind of, take a photo of this, I've been with that, tell a story about this. And I just sort of fall into that, don't get me wrong, I fall into that, but, you know, it's like when people come here, friends of ours from the UK, they come to visit Alberta and, you know, the Banff National Park, which is just down the road. Of course, um, and I, I battle against this in my head, but then I'm also understanding it. Of course, everybody wants to go to Lake Louise and take a photo in front of the lake. And, you know, everybody wants to go to Banff um, and, you know, just hang out in the, the streets of Banff. But, of course, everybody wants to do that. So those places are incredibly busy, horribly busy. And the reality is that they have a name, but... I we can show people places that are just as nice as that and, uh, you know, without the crowds. So, so I always battle against that, you know, but then I'm like, well, I know people need to take that photo, need to say they've been to Lake Louise, need to say they've been to Bam. They're not going to tell people that of the wonderful type, you know, they're not name dropping a conversation that they've been uh, into Kananaskis or places like that, which are just as good. Just don't have a name. Next question is always, What's the best advice you've been given? When people are, are challenging opinions uh, in your view on things, they're, they're challenging your opinion, not you. And I, earlier in my career, and I think we all have a tendency of taking things too personally. Actually, I've learned that the best work environment is one where you're constantly being challenged and... Um, your opinions being challenged because that's sort of healthy and that will allow you to, to build as a person. Um, if you, you're on the defensive all the time that it's about you as an individual, I think that's what I've, that's what I've learned is to sort of detach me personally from my opinions or my approach to work or, or life. Wonder, okay, the next question, what is your chronotype? Are you a morning person, evening person or somewhere in between? More morning, I would say. People tend to get up quite early here anyway, but I, I tend to get up quite early and um, try and do stuff in the morning before work as opposed to after work or, you know, or do work earlier in the morning as opposed to in the evening. When there's a necessity, a deadline, you know, of course we can always uh, flex that, but that would tend to be my, um, my style. Um, I guess we've come to our last question. Um, okay, it's good. one where we ask kind of all our guests on the podcast. Um, with different, with lots of different answers, but um, I'll just ask it. So, on a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? I'm not very weird, actually. So, be, but I'm not very weird. I'm in the middle. See it. I'm sorry, you know, because of the work that I do, and sometimes think people think I'm a little bit left field, but I'm not really. I'm sort of six, seven. Wonderful. Well, we've asked all the questions you wanted to ask. Um, thank you so much for your time and your insights this has been wonderful now I've really enjoyed the chat thank you so much so concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice and of course start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com